Thanks for joining us today on the Centerpoint podcast coming from the Loft on Main in Danville, Kentucky. For more information, check us out at centerpointdanville.com. Before we begin, I just want to remind everyone that this is a safe place. Now, we've all had bad church experiences, and it helps if we talk about it. Jeff and Cindy, huh? why don't you what? two get us started? Oh, no, uh, I don't want to talk about it. Um, well, Cindy, why don't you tell us what happened? Okay, so it was our first time at this church. Now, before we wrap up, Jeff, Cindy, I know it's your first time, but we like for all of our guests to pray for us before we go. That wouldn't make you feel awkward at all, would it? Yes. No, we'd be happy to. Could you? Come on, honey. Go ahead. Okay. Let us, let us pray. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to pray. That doesn't sound so bad. It gets worse. For the homeless, for the people who have homes, for the people who built those homes, and for Sherlock Holmes. Give us bread, Lord, and forgive us our trespasses, because we were probably lost and we didn't realize that we were on private property. Well, it's not great. Still not the worst part. And there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Amen. I'm sure they know you meant well. They asked us not to come back. That's just funny. I don't know, man. If, if that's ever happened to you, I am sorry, but uh, that's just good comedy right there. So, hey, welcome uh, to the Loft on Main as we just dive into this summer series and enjoy the favor of what God's trying to do through this, this series called My Bad Church Experience. And I uh, just want to say welcome because I know there's a lot of first-time guests and we just want to just literally dive into this experience together and, and just pull back some of the things that maybe, maybe could be uh, deflecting or, or causing us uh, not to experience the fullness of what God wants from from us. And so I uh, just want to say thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning uh, as we dive into the summer. And so here's the first question as we just sort of get started, you know, as you can sort of look at some things. And, but have you ever had a bad church experience? H- have you personally ever had a bad church experience? Now, now, now I'm not talking like, you know, I wore the wrong socks today or wrong shoes or my hair was bad or, you know, I, I even, and, 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 you know, so if you grew up in churches like I did, uh, some of the pews actually had these little hooks, you know, to, to reserve seats uh, during special occasions. And I actually watched a, a, a guy walk down the aisle. It's actually a guy doing an offering. Um, he leaned into that pew and it caught his pocket and it ripped it right off. Man, he had some whitey tighties. You know, it was a great moment for me. Uh, I was just laughing, but it was just funny. You know, uh, they just—I mean, it was just awkward. But you know, not those type of moments, right? Not those type of moments. I'm talking. Let's just go real serious. Those type of moments that literally cause you to even question: Why am I involved in a church? Those moments that really redefine you and you just, you just sort of just camp out, hey, why are we even involved in this church? Why, is God even real? 
And there's angst inside your voice. There's angst inside your heart. And you really don't know what to do with it. Yeah, that, that's the experience that I'm talking about. That, that, that right there moment that you have in the back of your brain. Maybe somebody told you, you know, something that you couldn't do in that church. And it's caused a lot of pain and tension. Or maybe you've been cornered by a leader somewhere along the line. And they just, they got after you for something that was so ridiculous. That's not even biblical. You know, I, I remember clearly as, as, as in college, um, and one of the experiences that I, I know that, um, that I was able to encounter, uh, I'm not going to share the church, but I, I remember this so vividly, and this, this happened to me because I was, I was literally loving on this guy that uh, was doing life with me. And if you don't know my background, I was, you know, uh, going into or being, coming a pilot, you know, commercial aviation. And I was loving on, on, the, on, my, on my instructor. And during that season of my life, you know, instructors, you know, they're just like normal people. He was just living the life of a college student, but he was a little bit older than me, and um, he was kind of lost. He, he listened to me because I, I spoke a little differently than the other guys. I just didn't use four-letter words all the time, and that sort of leaned into me, you know, uh, especially when you're flying planes and something goes wrong. You know, I just, I just sort of just landed the plane softly versus use choice words. But I remember carefully, he, he finally... He finally accepted one of my invitations. And during that invitation, he basically showed up to church. And he showed up to church with ragged blue jeans, you know, cut right down the middle right here. And we had a polo shirt on, kind of ragged. And I got to the front door. I got to the front door, and he told me he was coming. And as we got there uh, together, and we showed up, you know, and I, and, and I knew he probably didn't have, you know, the right outfit. Or what is the right outfit? But the guy at the front door, I never will forget the words. But he basically said to him, he looked me in the eye because he knew me. He looked him in the eye and he said these words. Never will forget them. Is that the best he got? And that's the last time that guy ever stepped foot towards the church. Is this the last time he ever decided? Like he, we actually had spiritual conversations about it later. I didn't even know how to address it. I was like, yeah, man. I, come back next time. <laughs> yeah. Come back next time. That's never going to happen again. Now, honestly, I, I don't know where my buddy is nowadays, but I never will forget that moment because that was a bad church experience for me because it showed me that people are mean and people are messy and people, if we wish to read the Bible, make up the church. And no wonder so many people have issues with the church because it's filled with messy people. It's filled with messy people, and I think sometimes we, we get some things wrong. And, 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 you know, and, and I've had my fair share uh, enough with bad church experiences, and I bet, I bet if, we're, if we had the microphone, we had some chances, we just passed it around, we could all share. I guarantee it, we grew up in the Bible Belt, guys. We grew up here in this wonderful place called Kentucky. Most people did. And my, my guess is, is, is that literally some people have had some really awkward church experiences. And the only way we can take a step forward is leaning into Jesus. That's the only way we can take that step forward and allow ourselves to fully experience what he is trying to offer through us so we can present the gospel and what the church should look like in the first place. And so if you're in with that, if you're in with that, and you can start to understand that base, then that's where we're going for the summer. 
We have a lot of different topics, and we have a lot of a great moving parts this summer, and, and we're going we're gonna to tackle this for literally 10 weeks because it's that big of a topic on our hearts. And so I've had my fair share of bad experiences, and I bet you you have too. But there's one that I will never forget that, you know, it, it's a picture you know, that was taken. And it was one of those things that was called, a, you know, it's a, one of those time capsule moments. Um, that it's Maybe some of the people don't know this word, but it's called a church directory. Those are awkward moments, right? You know, uh, you're, you just go to get all dressed up. But does anybody know what those things are, by the way? Any show of hands? You got some people, yeah. You know, I don't even know if they do those things anymore, but it's just really awkward. But growing up, I remember taking many, it seemed like we did one every single year, and I remember telling my mom, like, why do we have to get dressed up to take another picture, you know? Uh, but we had to take those pictures to put it in the church directory. Uh, I remember those moments. And, uh, but, you know, I, I, it just, it's just kind of awkwardly, uh, those pictures, are, you, you get dressed up and you show your best, right? You show your best. And, and for those of you, uh, you know, basically who did not grow up in church and you don't know what I'm talking about, or this is like, what is he talking about? Imagine, go back to high school or middle school. Imagine uh, your yearbook, okay? Imagine your yearbook. That's about as close as I can get it together, right? It's, it's about like a yearbook in a church. Now, I guess it's okay to do that. But for me, I, I always looked at that, and I, I, started, I was like looking at people like, you don't ever wear that. You don't, you know, you, you, that's who are you? You, you? you farm, you milk cows. You, you don't wear those things. And here he is in a three-piece suit, you know, trying to show the best, right? Uh, and I remember those things, but it's not like we don't do those things today. We just, we have different things, technology called Facebook. You know, we got Facebook, we have, we have Instagram, and, and we, we, everybody seems to be happy all the time, especially in churches, right? We, we only post things that, that appear that we're really all got it all together, especially churches, if you know what I'm talking about. And so what I believe behind those photos is this especially in church directories or maybe a family photo or those, those things that we even caption today, even here with Instagram or other things. I believe church people do something that's kind of catastrophic because the outside world is looking in and we do something that's so dangerous because we only show the best and we hide the rest. We only show the best and we hide the rest. And so the outside world is looking. They just say, wait a minute, I can, I'll never add up to that. That They're always having fun. They're, they're, you know, they're just something, they, they look clean. They, they present themselves well. And they're just, they got it all together. They're whole. They, eat, they even eat good. They, they go on a diet. They go on a Daniel plan, right? They do everything right. And they don't know what's underneath their mess, though. They don't know what's un- inside. Church people are really good at, at, at doing this. And if, and if you've had a bad church experience uh, of people who are not being real with you, I just want you to let you know you're not alone. Hey, you're not alone. Now, and if you know you're not alone, I just want you to take a little small glimpse into my life. And maybe, maybe this makes sense to you. But I have a photo, a photo from one of those old-time church directories. And, and yeah, <laughs> check that one out. Yeah, right? And if you can't figure it out, it, it, the guy with the, the big wings, you know, uh, over there on the side, the nice vest, you know, that's definitely 1980-ish, coming out of the 70s, uh, full of hair. Don't know what happened to that one. But, uh, but yeah, and if you know the story behind this, you know, it gets it even funny. Like, you, you see a family behind, why do they do this? Fake books. I do not know. I do not understand fake books, but hey, we were standing in front of fake books. You couldn't even find that many books in our house to save our lives. But you know, here we are taking a picture 
My brother looks like he's got a grin and a half. He has just a, you know, committed a crime. Uh, my little sister, she's just there because mom's holding her. But me, but me, if you know the story, why well, I got that, 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 it's like, what is happening, grin? It's because I just wet my pants. And no one knew what to do with it. I'm just saying, and the guy was like, no, we can crop it out. Old school, just raise the picture. You know, that's all. There's no cropping back there. It's just raise the film, right? That's exactly what happened. I told dad, I was like, I got to go to the bathroom. Dad, I got to go to the bathroom. He's like, no, you sit here and you stand. I'm like, oh, I got to go to potty. And then the next thing you know, it's all wet. Smile. It's the best I got, dad. And that's why dad held me. You know, mom's like, I ain't touching. So, but, you know, what you don't see behind that story is this. Is you don't see that, you know, you see a family that's got it all together. You, you see you know, a, a, a father figure that's literally, you know, got it all together, dressed up. A mother figure that's proud of their children. You, you, you see a family that's got it all together. But what you don't see, what you don't see is, is some of the stresses that are on a family. What you don't see is some of the, the things that have literally led to this moment. What you don't see is some of the agony maybe in the personal lives. You see, my dad had risked everything to launch a career and a business, put everything on the line to be able to provide for his family. And the stresses that are there just to lead the way and lead the charge. And if you know the rest of the story, if it wasn't because of one action of one man to walk across the room and walk across the street, you know, my dad would probably never found church and literally be told I would have probably never been where I'm doing today as a pastor. One man. You don't know the tension that was involved at that moment. Or, or, or the tension that came from my father when, you know, their, his family split. And, and him having to make decisions and help lead the way. Or him going off to war and serving. All the tension that was there. Or if you go to my mom and, you know, you look at, she's a big, you know, family person and had a lot of family members and you don't know some of the tensions that were, as they were raised and the family split and it was just a horrible, horrible scene. But at the same time, you don't know some of the tensions where it came into the moment and some of the stresses and some of the heartache of when she lost her brother in a car wreck and some of the heartache that still goes on to those today. You don't know some of the raw emotions of, of, of maybe, you know, just trying to, to have children and, and lead the way and, and them butting their heads together as a family and trying to just to make it. You see, even our family, we hid things and we did it well to show the best. And I bet all of us, I bet all of us have a picture just like this if we're honest, if we're really, really honest. And what I've learned over time, and when I start to look at your pictures and my pictures, behind every photo, there's a story. And behind every story, there's a past. And behind every photo, there's a story. And behind every story, there's a past. And there are good things about the story, and there's bad things about the story. There's no such thing as a perfect picture, though, is there? It's just a fake thing that we sort of make up. Because when we look at the picture with people, we are dealing with people, right? Messy people, imperfection people. And if you can raise your hand today and admit that you're perfect, those around you may want to scoot to the left or the right just a little, just in case something falls on the top of your head. Just being completely honest here. 
I mean, just look at this now because of this imagery, this imagery that we have going on right now of the church and those of the outside world putting it out there that we are perfect people. A lot of people in our culture just claim that churches are all full of what? Perfect people. Or they claim you the other one, which is what? Oh, yeah, I hear the whisper. No one's, some people are afraid to say it. Yeah, there it is. A bunch of hypocrites. You just put on the best, right, and hide the rest. You live a completely different lifestyle because there's a story behind it. And so today, I just thought we'd camp out on this idea. I thought we'd camp out on this idea. Is what I've learned is, is people, people feel disqualified because of their past. People start to feel disqualified about you know, where they've been in their life and, and some of the things that's happened in their storyline. And eventually they stop going or they don't, even, they don't even come to church because people in church show the best and they hide the rest. There's a perception out there that church people are holier than thou and those on the outside don't ever add up. Well, I have to say something, you know. I don't think that's true. I don't even think it's coming close, especially here at the loft. We're full of misfits, uh, you know, and messed up people. And I bet if we just really pull back the blanket and pull back the rug just a little bit, if we just start to pull back the rug and look into some people's lives, I guarantee you a lot of churches really start to have some messed up people that probably need counseling every single day, by the way. And what I've learned and found out is, is people who feel disqualified from God actually blame the church, actually start to blame the church. But the truth is they, they do it to themselves and they, they end up rejecting the church over time. And they say things like, like this, I'm not accepted or I'm disqualified because I did. You fill in the blank. You fill it in. Have you heard that before? Have you heard anybody ever say that? I'm not accepted or I'm disqualified because I did this. Because of this issue, it keeps coming up and it's and it keeps me from connecting to the bride of Christ which is his people which make up the church who can change the world by simply connecting to one another through the Holy Spirit now because of whatever the issue in the past you may have it it's it's it's, it's like this rug that it's up here today it's like this big, huge rug. You see, we, we sort of start hiding things and we start sweeping things underneath the rug and we act like it, it does not exist, you know? It starts to pile up, like over here in this corner. It starts to pile up really big over, over time. And it might not have started off that way. You could still walk across it, but right now there's no way I could walk across over this corner without tripping over this corner. Someone eventually is going to come along and literally trip over this corner, whether you want them to or not. Because we decided to sweep it underneath the rug, right? Have you ever used that phrase before? Just sweep it underneath the rug, right? You know, there are things you hide here. And they honestly, when you hide them, um, they always sort of stay the same until you decide to do something with it. They, They always... Do the same thing. They just sort of stay put and they build up and you sweep other things there because it's now become a comfortable place. You see, the, what I have learned is the issues of our past follow us into our present and affect our future decisions every single day until you decide to do one thing. When you decide to do this right here, when you start to peel this back, 
when you start to peel this back and you start to really open this up and start to expose what's underneath the rug, then God does something amazing. He starts to move. And that's, that's so true. And it's, it's, it's throughout the Bible. It's over and over again in people's lives. And, and what, if the, what if the things, the very things we try to hide that make us feel disqualified or not even worthy to be involved with in church, God wants to take those issues and totally redeem them, restore them, and bring healing to you and to me by just by our one simple actions, removing it, pulling it back, fighting everything inside you that says this is not natural, but then just pulling it out and saying, this is yours, God, and just standing there waiting for him to do something. What if while we begin to deal with the truth and allow God to deal with these issues, we begin to stop tripping over the rug and others begin to watch you on this journey, this this faithful journey of following God and just being completely open. They begin, what I found out is they begin to ask questions and the next thing, the next thing that happens is the only thing that can happen is you begin to share your story. You begin to share your Jesus story of how you pulled it back and he did something remarkable. He redeemed it, he restored it, and he brought healing. Which leads us to one of our main four words here at the Loft and Center Point, which is change lives. What? Come on, say it with me, church. Change lives. That's right. And when that happens, man, it begins a movement. And the only one who can get the credit for that is Jesus. Period. Through, through his bride, the church, we get, to, we get to see it happen. We get to be a part of it. And man, that's what I would love to see in each and every single one of us. To see a movement started that literally changes our world from us being open enough to pull back that carpet and address the mess. You see, what I've learned is God's not scared of what's underneath your rug. You might be, and your mom might be, and your wife might be, and your, your husband might be, and definitely your kids don't want to know what's underneath that rug. But God does. He wants to grab hold of it. He wants to clean it. He wants to literally be involved in your life. And, and when the church works best, when the church works best is when a group of people love, inspire, and encourage and challenge each other to continue to pull back the rugs in our lives and address the mess, whatever's under it, whatever's under it, and allow God to bring healing and enjoy the favor of what he can do next with it. It's just that simple. That's what simple church looks like. That's what simple church looks like, and that's what it should be like. We, we try hard to do everything we can to, to create environments here at Centerpoint. But we often even fail because we are not perfect people. So the better question I would like to ask is, is why is it so hard to address the mess? Why is it so hard to address the mess under the rugs in our personal lives? Why is it that people still do not want to, to ever come to church because of me and you? And why is it that church could be a stumbling block for others because of a big bulge in our rug. Because it should not be. It shouldn't. It should be the greatest single loving verb we've ever seen in action in the history of our time. 
Now, what I've learned is this, is, is, is I've been investing into people's lives for years now. And I've been inviting them to church forever. From students, you know, as a, as a student pastor, to college age, from when I was serving on college campuses, and now to, to adults and families. And I've learned over time that if, if, if you want to kill a conversation really quickly, and you know, you want to move past it, uh, that conversation, you invite someone to church, and, and they'll say these words. They'll, they'll say, they'll show up. They'll come. But you know in the back of your mind they'll never show up because they just want to shut you up. <laughs> That's just how simple it is. Go figure. And you think they're coming, you're waiting for them, but truthfully, they, they never show. And however, if I really get the chance to know them and I begin to invest into their spiritual journey and start to listen to their stories and start to hear their life and some of their pain and start to address some of their mess underneath their rug, it, it, it's, it changes the dynamics a little bit. It changes the trajectory of how we can literally start to invest and invite. And when I feel like it's, it's time and it's that moment to really ask them, hey, why don't you consider coming to the loft? We're getting ready to start talking about this new church experience and my bad church experience, and, and maybe you've had one. And then they, they, then they get back to this and they say, you know, you know, you know I, I, I feel like, um, or, you know, it's, it's a bunch of excuses, right? And I've got issues. One of the ones that I've heard the most is, I've got issues that I need to deal with before I come to the loft. I've heard that a ton. I've also heard that I'm really not ready because of the current situation that I'm in. I'm, you know, it's really messy at home right now. My, my husband and I are not together. Or, you know, my kid, he's just, he's using, right now, he's using some stuff, and, and I don't even know what he's using. I'm scared to find out what he's using. Or I've heard this one. Literally, I've heard this one even this week. If I show up at the loft on Main, you better get ready for it to burn down, you know? I'm like, well, good. We got sprinklers. Come on, you know? I'm just being honest. Now, if, if I could do my best to try and convince them to come, you know, I, I can do that. I can try and convince them to love on them and, hey, you need to be here. You need to be here because God's going to do something crazy, ridiculous in your life. We're just going to, we're going to do this together. We're going to do life together. But, but what I say to people now is, is, is two words that literally tell me a little bit more because it allows me to understand where they're at. And those two words are simply these two words. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because for whatever reason, for whatever reason, they feel like they've got to give me an excuse of not to come to church because they've had a bad church experience the way, the way they were made to feel, the way that the perception that we've set in motion, maybe as a church because we're perfect people that can do no wrong, by the way. We got an excuse for everything. Have you met a church person lately? We got excuses for everything. We blame everybody. Can't do no wrong. Those pictures literally say a thousand what? Words. If you, if you have issues that you need to work on or you, or you give them over to God and, and feel like you, you can't come to church and begin to work on what's underneath your work because we've created a perception of a perfect church and that's so, so not right. And I am sorry on behalf of all the churches out there. That's not what it was intended to be like, and that's not what any church should look like. Churches should be some of the messiest places on the face of this earth. 
And we should get to see the moment when people get redeemed and, and restored and healing takes place. And we should celebrate that with everything we have inside of us. And I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I feel like one reason why people feel this way is how we present the Bible, right? How we present the Bible, especially the characters in it. It's almost like they're untouchable and with all the stories that we share because we, we say these little quotes, like, especially in here, well, the Bible says. Well, the, you know, this is what the Bible says. And we, we quote it. We, we actually kind of leverage the Bible a little bit. We even sometimes hit people down with the Bible and we get one of those things going on. You don't need me doing that, you know, and, and we use the Bible that way as a sword. But some of the things that I've noticed is, is, is even, even the Bible, we, we give people these characters, you know, we give them these amazing names like Peter, Paul, James, uh, John. We, we go as far as to, to make them into these wonderful characters called saints. And I'm not saying nothing wrong with them, but now we got St. Peter, St. Paul, St. Luke, St. John, I mean St. Matthew. We, we, we go around town and you can probably find a, a church even named that way. We even have cities named after Paul, St. Paul, Minnesota, right? I mean, it's just kind of crazy how we rename and we, we even call our kids after these amazing Bible characters. And so people don't feel worthy enough, right? The list goes on. And I know we honor our past, and that's a good thing by giving out those names. But the problem is, is we give people those names, these names, and people just feel like they can never measure up. They can never measure up. So why try? Why even come? Why even try to address the mess underneath the rug? The problem with giving these names uh, like the ones when, when someone actually picks the Bible up, that's, that's, that, that's the funny part of this moment. You know, the problem with, with giving names like this is when someone actually picks the Bible up and begins to read it. When they really begin to read it, they realize that in these verses, that are these, these things are named after, and we, we call it all these saints here, saint there, they start to realize these guys are messed up. If you open up your Bible, you'll see stories and story of story where these guys are literally, they need some serious counseling in life, you know? They need to go find counsel because they are messed up people. And what I have found out, they're just like me and you. They're identical. If you, if you really want to start feeling good about yourself, I've heard the old story, you know, to go to a shopping mall. But if you really want to start feeling good about yourself, start reading the Bible, Start reading the Bible and you'll start seeing characters that are so dysfunctional. You'll see families that are so dysfunctional. Man, your family is a saint compared to some of the Bible characters. Chapter after chapter, we read families that are full of dysfunctional families. And the only one who has it all together, the main character, Jesus. And he changed everything, by the way. The rest of them have serious issues and so today, I, for the remaining time, I'd, I'd like to talk about one of those characters. And I want to talk about one of the, one of the main characters in the Bible, and it's St. Paul. St. Paul. And did you know that Paul, the apostle, literally wrote half the New Testament, and, and he wrote more than anybody else. He invested more probably than anybody else. He actually launched a movement of the church that followed Jesus' model, and he, he wrote so many pieces in the Bible, and he, he, he went on these missionary experiences, one, two, and three, and he literally just was all about sharing his faith, how, how God changed his life. He even wrote one of the most famous verses in all the Bible where people in church, quote, when they can't think of something else to say, uh, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens what? 
me. Yeah, it's a favorite verse. Philippians 4.13, right? You know, uh, you just, just you stall out, but you can quote that one because you know it. Well, guess who wrote it? Paul. Uh, you know, this other verse, especially because we're in the season of weddings and everything, uh, you know, he, he actually wrote this one, one little particular verse in there where it says, love never fails. Yeah, you've heard that one too. You see, Paul wrote all these, and we still quote them today because it impacted people's lives. And since we quote him today, and we believe St. Paul, he's got it all right. He's got everything together, you know? That's, that's what a lot of people think. And my guess is, if we were talking to Paul, if we could just pull up a chair today, and we could put him side by side here and have a spiritual conversation, my guess is, is if we were talking to him, Paul, the apostle today, he would be appalled at being called St. Paul. He would be appalled at being called St. Paul. That's, that's not my guess neither, by the way. And this is not a hunch. This is because Paul gave himself a nickname in the Bible, and we can find it in a personal letter he left for me and you. And trust me, it was not a saint. It was not a saint. Paul said, if you're going to call me something, if you're going to call me something, why don't you call me this? A chief, a chief of all sinners. Now, these are his words. Now, the, now St. Paul sounds so much better for churches and towns and books, but the truth is that Paul wanted you and me to see that Jesus could use someone as disqualified as Paul to change the world, to change the world because he addressed the mess. He, he, could, do, he could do the same thing now. We just have to be willing to address the mess underneath the rug today. And then the next thing you know, Jesus changes the heart and changes everything. And if you don't know the gospel, there it is. When God gets a hold of the heart, he changes everything. And that's exactly what he did with Paul. Now then, Jesus comes down and he changes us from the inside out, right? For God so loved the world that he, what, sent his only one son, right? And so that's Jesus. So we can begin to, to, to be a light of change for the world in a way that only points back to Jesus. And, and just like Paul, we have the ability to create movement if we choose to follow Jesus, if we allow Jesus to access what's underneath the rug. Jesus is ready to get dirty, I mean really messy in your life and in mine, so he can change us and we can grow into the men and women that we are born to be. Now then, when we allow Jesus to change our lives, others lean in. Others lean in and say, if Jesus can do that with him or her, then there's hope for me. If, if that's what Jesus can do, then I want that too. There's, there's hope for me, right? Change lives, change lives. And that's the story of why Jesus came. And so the message that, that Paul is telling us today, he was, he was not saying he was, he was a saint. No, he was explaining he was a chief of all sinners. And, and I don't want you to miss this. And if you don't catch anything else today, I want you to catch this one. Because Paul would want us to know this one. If there's any hope, if there's hope for Paul, then there's literally hope for all. If there's hope for Paul, then there's hope for all of us today. And that's what he would want to explain. If there was hope for Paul by addressing the mess, then there's hope for all. See, Paul allowed Jesus to gain access into his life, his personal life, and deal with the mess he was involved with. 
And it changed the trajectory for millions and millions of people ever since that moment took place. And there's a reason to lean into what Paul's saying. And if you're still having trouble because you're from the, the county areas of, of, in central Kentucky and not the city, let me say it to you this way. If there's hope for Paul, then there's hope for y'all, all right? If I need to just lean into you a little bit, okay? If there's hope for Paul, there's hope for what? Say it with me, y'all. All right, so you got your country boys on. So it's not just Lincoln County, it's Bull County. You know, it's Casey. Well, we got Casey County. So, you know, you got your county guys, right? There's hope for y'all. And that's just the truth. Paul would be saying, man, there's hope for y'all. And I don't want you to walk away from today and not remember that. Because I don't want you to think that something in your past disqualifies you from being a part of something that can not only change your life, but it can change the life of others. When we get this right, when the church gets this right, we see churches dealing with the messiness of life, and Jesus gets the credit. He begins a movement, and it changes everything. And so if there's hope for Paul, there's hope for y'all, right? The chief of all sinners. How is that possible? Well, let's look at why Paul says this. And this is what the story. In the book of Acts, the church, right there at the very beginning, we actually studied this a couple weeks ago, the church of Jesus is launched, right? And it's thriving in Acts 1, and especially when all of his disciples are gathered around him, and he's just so mad, he just blasts off, you know, up into the heavens, and they're all just standing around going, I told you not to ask those questions, you know? They're just looking up and like they're just gazing up and like, now what? And the Holy Spirit floods in. He says, now go, go make disciples. Well, they're out there making disciples and they're not just making disciples. They're multiplying and they're multiplying so fast. They're changing the culture and they're changing the landscape of what the church looks like. And it's getting really, really exciting. And all of a sudden this, this apostle or this, this guy named Saul gets onto the scene. And he's like, wait a minute. There's way too many of those happy Christians over there and life's changing. We got to do something about it. And so literally, Saul takes action. And not only takes action, he begins doing his mission. And his primary mission before he met Jesus was to kill Christians. It was to catch them off guard. It was to trip them up. It was, it was to get them to blaspheme. It was causing so much tension in the Christian movement that literally... The movement almost died simply because of one man. And so in Acts 26, verse 9, it says this. It says this in following. It says, Paul says this. I, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazareth. In verse 10, it says this. Indeed, I, I did not just. I, I did just that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priest. So he was, he was commissioned to go do this. And I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. Not just one or two, we're talking many. And then it goes on to explain this. And this is, this is, you know, this is, this is Apostle Paul saying this. He says, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death, meaning you ever seen the Roman thing where they do thumb up or thumb down? He was just like, yeah, <laughs> automatic. And they stoned people. They killed people. They tortured them. Put them in a lion's den and let the lions rip them apart. I mean, whatever kind of torture they could come up with, that's what literally Saul was in charge of. 
He cast his vote against them, and they were condemned to death. In, in number 11, in verse 11, it says this, And many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus, to literally curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. Literally, he hunted them down because he wanted to eliminate all Christians. Now, you think you're bad? You think you got some junk in your trunk underneath your rug? Think about that one for a second. This guy, totally not qualified to be a Christian, right? This is St. Paul, right? This is the same guy. Some of you are wondering, well, how bad was it? Literally, how, come on, we, don't, we, we can't really look back. But here is a perfect example of, this is coming from his mouth of how bad he was. Now, now remember, Jesus has done left the building, right? He's done left the earth. He's left the scene, and seriously, it gets so bad with what Saul is doing and what is going on with the mission that Jesus left the first time when Jesus decides literally to show back up Jesus decides, wait a minute, enough's enough. This one guy's causing so much tension. He personally shows back up and he handles it in person to Saul one-on-one and all the people around him. But they couldn't really see him, but Saul and Jesus had a one-on-one experience. He shows up on this road called Damascus. Now, if you think you've done something bad, let me ask you one serious question. Has Jesus ever shown up in person to correct you? And we, we talked to the Holy Spirit, but has he ever revealed himself in a way he's standing right before you going, hey, you should not have done that one, you know? No, he didn't. He hasn't. But he did with Paul. He did with this guy. He did with this character in the Bible because he was so in the wrong on the side of things. It was causing hurt. It was causing pain. And it was causing the movement to stop. And I just want to look at this and say, Now we're dealing with the real chief of all sinners. And if he can find hope, then we can find hope. Now Jesus meets Saul face to face and and he continued this this mission to, to destroy Christians. And Jesus does not say, why are you doing this to his people? He doesn't ask that question. What he really is going after is basically he wants to know, why are you doing this to me? Why are you persecuting me? So Jesus decides the best way to get his attention is to blind him, to literally blind him. And and he tells Saul, you literally need to listen to me. You are my chosen instrument. And with all of your past and with everything that you sweep underneath the rug, you know, you are going to change the world, not by getting rid of my people and my love, but you're going to be talking about my love in a way that changes everything. And then at that moment, Paul or Saul was instructed to go find Ananias, a a character after God, following God. And and he actually was asked to go find him on Straight Street. Now then, there's a little humor there by Jesus because he's telling a blind guy to go onto Straight Street. You know, if you can look at that one, if it's over your head, don't worry about it. But I'm telling you, there's some humor there. But in the meantime, Jesus reveals himself to Ananias. And this is the other side of the story. 
And, and Saul was coming to find him. And he wants to, to literally, Jesus, to, or he wants, he's try, Jesus is trying to encourage Ananias that here, here comes uh, Saul, right? And he wants you, you, he's chosen you to pray over him. And he's going to literally feel the Holy Spirit. And he's going to feel what God has in store for his life. And he's going to go out and change the whole world. And literally, Ananias is like, are you serious? This is the guy that wants to kill me. He wants to kill all Christians, and you're telling him to come find me so I can pray over him? Jesus, you know, I can only imagine that conversation. He's probably standing from afar going, Jesus, is there any way we could just, like, reveal one eye to it? You know, not both eyes, but that way he can't can't track me down and hunt me. Is there any way we can just, you know, take his legs away and reveal his eyes, and then maybe he he can figure this? Are you serious? You want to remove those scales, and you want him to come find me? Come on, Jesus. I'll do it, but... This makes no sense. And Jesus, he's sitting there going to Ananias. His past is messed up. His his past is messed up, but, but basically, I'm telling you, just trust me. He is the perfect candidate to carry on the mission of what I have in store. And if I can do something worthy through that man that makes others take notice... It will change the world for years to come because if there's hope for Paul, then there's hope for y'all. And if you're, and if you're here and, you, and you've heard one of those, if you've, if you've had one of those bad church experiences where you feel like you're not the perfect candidate to do something for God, and you feel like you're disqualified, let me just tell you that Jesus' love, when he sort of just wraps it all around who you are, it completely eliminates this whole disqualified person. It completely eliminates the unlikely candidate. And if you feel like your story is so messed up and so jacked up that no one should ever address the mess underneath the rug, then you will continue to just take those trips over the mound because that's who you decided to become. Someone who avoids the truth. And I think you know you need to know the truth. The truth will set you free. When you pull it back, and you expose it, just like the Apostle Paul did. He had to seek it out. He fasted for three days, seeking it out, seeking out the truth, and it literally changed him. And if it was good for Paul, it was good for you and me. And here's why, here's why I can sit up here and say that with confidence. Here's why I can say, you know, we can look at this and say, why are you even saying this? Because I believe we're all unlikely candidates. I believe we're all literally disqualified. All of us, including me, the guy with the microphone on stage. And here's why I know. If if God can use me, if he can use my messed up story, my story of sometimes pridefulness, arrogantness, and everything else that literally I've had to go through and face, if he can take those pictures, right, and we can put those into application and just expose the truth and address the mess and it still address the mess when I continue to sweep it under my personal rugs. If, if, I can, if I can get to that point and just be open and transparent with those who are surrounding me and loving on me and praying for me, then that's the same Jesus that changed the heart of Paul. And he's trying to change all hearts. We just got to let him in. We just have to let him in to address the mess. You need to remember this today. 
You need to remember it's not about you. It's about Jesus' amazing grace, his redeeming power, the Holy Spirit running wild through you to change you from the inside out. And so when people look at you, when people look at you, people will say, maybe this whole Jesus thing is real. It's not just a church thing. It's a Jesus thing. And maybe there really is a God who loves. Now, Saul has this name change, and, and he is now out and about and, and is, is, is basically impacting the world. And I want you to know about, about this next verse that he wrote because I, I believe in it, and it can really be our ending point for today as we take, take it to the streets, right? But I believe as we begin to address this, this verse and it launches us into next week, I believe in 2 Corinthians, he leaves a nugget for us to sort of camp out on. In 2 Corinthians 1.4, it really says this. It says, he comforts us. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort, there it is, others. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that, that we can comfort others. And when they are troubled, we will be able to give the same comfort God has given us. You see, if you allow Jesus to pull the back of the rug, if you allow him in, access, Allow him, uh, to, 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 he, allow him to start to redeem who you are through his love. It changes everything. And, and what happens is it allows others to look in and ask, how did you deal with that in your life? How, how did you find comfort? How, others around you, where you work, where you live, where you play, who are seeking, who are seeking will begin to ask you and will begin to seek comfort through what you're experiencing through the power of the Holy Spirit, they will find it. They will find the truth that sets them free. Now then, real quick, that is what the church is supposed to look like. And I want to give you three quick things that I believe that, that we need to be aware of that brings hope for all. Number one, it says this, acknowledge, acknowledge the past. Don't be ashamed of your past. If you choose to never deal with your past, it follows you around. It haunts you. You will always have a bump. You will always have a bump in your rug. And you can sweep more things under. And you actually, you actually do. You sweep more stuff in it. And people will trip on it. Your family. For years to come, your family will trip over it if you do not address it. So acknowledge the past. Number two, dealing with your past is better. When we start to deal with our past and we, we allow others to come beside us, the church, and we start to deal with it in a way that's holy and righteous, man, it changes the trajectory of where you're going. And number three, leveraging your past is best. Leveraging your past is best. When we trust Jesus to do something with our past and address the mess under the, under the rug, someone else's life literally can change. That's just the truth. When we allow our stories to be leveraged for the gospel, it changes the trajectory of somebody else. You see, when we leverage that secret sin, the, the troubled marriage, that hurt that causes so much pain, when we expose that and we turn it over to Jesus, what happens in others, they, they start to come forward and say, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being open and transparent with that. And, and, and right now, where I'm at in my journey, I'm, I'm, you give me hope. You give me hope because I see it in you. 
I see something different in you. And what that is, is 2 Corinthians 1-4 being played out. So this week, my challenge is simple. How do you place 2 Corinthians 1-4 out where you work, where you live, and where you play? A couple of weeks ago, we did this as the band comes up and starts to play. What I've noticed this is, is a couple of weeks ago, this verse was, was played out here on this stage a couple of weeks ago through the idea of the touchy subjects. And when we saw men and women dealing with the addictions of porn, and we actually got up here and we shared their personal stories and their struggles and how they were willing to pull back the rug and pull back the rug and allow others to see their story and how God could illuminate and redeem them, it changed people's lives. It allowed people to lean in and, and, and it allowed people to, to say, man, there's hope. There's some hope there. And I feel it because if they can do it, then I can do it. And what, ha- what has happened since that moment, just to give you an update, you see, by, by leveraging the past and giving God complete control of what's underneath the mess, God is, continues, continues to give others hope now through sexual addiction um, a unit that now meets over here at Indian Hills, and we partner with them through Celebrate Recovery. And that's just awesome. And, and these, these spiritual conversations are actually leading to more hope because people are coming clean and confessing what's, what's holding them back. And now we just have to be real and completely honest and just be transparent with where we're at today. And some of you are like, ah, I don't know. I'm still not there. I just want you to remember this. If there's hope for Paul, then there's hope for all. And if that's true, then what has to happen is a first step. The first step, when we allow Jesus to pull back this rug so he can get the credit. Because if you try to do it, we just mess it up. We become what the world calls the hypocrite because we're going to go out there and mess it up. And see, when we pull back the rug and address the mess, what happens is, 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 is God does something remarkable. When we literally pull this back and we just completely expose it and we, we get all this stuff and we uncover what's under there and we start to really pull it out. First of all, what happens is it lays flat. But then all of a sudden, we got a gift. And the gift is simple. The gift is your story of how Christ has restored you, how he has redeemed you, and how he's loved you enough because he views you just like this. You're a gift to the world. And the only thing you got to go do is share it. And when you share gifts, people light up. And I just want you to know that you're the most amazing gift literally, on the face of this earth. You'll be able to do things in your life that no one else can for the person sitting beside you because you're a gift. And I just hope and pray that you understand that there's hope for Paul. There's hope for all. But first, you have to make that first step. Let me pray for you. Jesus, man, I just, I thank you for the gift that you sent you sent yourself and you sent it in a way of love and it changed the world and, it, and you impacted those people that you came in personal contact with and you created a movement 
And then there's people like Saul who came and tried to destroy it. But you show back up on the scene and, and you took a step towards him to show him how much potential was in this disqualified person. This person had so much mess underneath the rug that he didn't want nobody to know about it. He's like, I can't do nothing for the church. I can't do nothing for Jesus. But literally, you got into his world and you changed everything. And so if there's hope for Paul, there's hope for me. There's hope for my friends here today. There's hope for all. And we believe that when we take that first step and we address the mess, man, God's going to do something remarkable. He's going to turn it into a gift that he can use to present the gospel to other people. We just have to be bold enough to peel back that rug and address the mess. So for today, Lord, we're just going to sing a song. And I just ask as we come to the altar that literally our hearts are open so we can find that same hope Paul found and we can go change the world. We can go change it in a way and give away a gift of love that changes our culture and begins a movement towards you. Jesus, that's my prayer. In your holy, precious name, amen. I don't know where you're at today, but why don't you stand and sing. Altar's open if you want to come. But I just ask you to do one thing. Be willing enough to be obedient.